Greetings friends, and welcome to Breakfast in the Ruins, a Michael Moorcock flavoured podcast. On this show, we're taking a look at one of the icons of late 60s and 70s fantasy and science fiction artwork, and the imagery that he produced that was so vivid and so unique, that to this day his covers fascinate and astound as they shine forth from the shelves of second-hand bookshops across the land. I'm talking, of course, of Bob Haberfield. Bob's art graced the covers of numerous Moorcock books, originally those published by Mayflower Books, and the later Grafton and Panther editions. As we've previously mentioned, for such an iconic brand, Mayflower was a publisher that we know precious little about, other than it was originally launched as a British subsidiary of Dell in the 1960s, before being bought up by Granada Publishers. For a decade or so though, Mayflower Books were iconic for photo art covers and, in particular, the extraordinary psychedelic imagery that's lost none of its impact in the last 50 years, and foremost, of those artists was the late Bob Haberfield, to the extent that his work is indelibly linked to Mocock's words, and in my case, like no other before or since. How wonderful then that the custodian of his work, his son Ben, is now working on ways to get that incredible portfolio out into the world again, and Ben joined Dave and I in Derry and Tom's to talk about his dad's work and his ongoing projects to celebrate it. So, sit back, get your brain into a zen space, and join us in Derry and Tom's as we talk about the life and the art of Bob Haberfield. Just by preamble, I'll say, well, we're back in Derry and Tom's, virtual Derry and Tom's, and this is tremendously exciting because Dave and I have been talking on a number of occasions and... The last couple of times we've spoken about Moorcock books, the covers have been Bob Haberfield covers. And we've waxed lyrical about our love of Bob Haberfield covers, particularly on the Mayflower books from the 1970s. And we're extraordinarily fortunate to have Bob's son, Ben Haberfield, with us. Ben, welcome and thanks for coming. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. It's a, a, a tremendously exciting thing for me because I suppose, Dave, we have to kind of explain to Ben the impact of his dad's covers on the Mayflower books as we've been collecting Michael Moorcock books. Absolutely. I was just going to say, yeah, for me, I mean, um, the brilliance of Bob's art is, you know, in contrast to your kind of typical sort of fantasy book cover, which is, you know, kind of more of a traditional depiction of maybe a scene out of the book or an idea of the thing. Bob's art, yes, it, it does it, but it does it in this very kind of cool uh, psychedelic just nebulous sort of way it, it it doesn't frame it like your typical fantasy art it it kind of goes one step above into this uh almost like spiritual aspect it's really really exciting stuff not to mention the colors techniques of the paintings itself this it, it's 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 surreal it's psychedelic and it's just beautiful to look at it's so eye-catching they're abstract, they're unlike anything else. And when I first started getting given Michael Mocock books by my granddad, or Pops, as we called him, a lot of the books we were given were the 1970s Mayflower editions, and some of those covers carried on over to the um, Granada and Panther editions as well. But seeing for the first time the cover, for example, of The Eternal Champion, which I've got the copy here, which was given to me by my granddad, and I'm not going to say for sure that it's a perfect representation of the contents of the book, but my uh -huh. God, it is so 
unbelievably striking that mm. these books leapt off the shelves when I was a kid. And when I actually started collecting Mocock books and going down that rabbit hole, because there are so many of them, the Mayflower editions are always the ones I seek out. But we had a, a, a quick conversation when, when I asked you to come on, Ben, and you did point out that you're not really a sci-fi or fantasy guy. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I didn't really know a huge amount about these um, the, these works until till probably about ten years ago was when I first. I, I actually discovered when I was, I was visiting my dad and I I was just looking in a in a cupboard in the spare room that I was staying in and I just <laughs> found this stack of of, of artworks. Um, must have been about a hundred or so um, artworks in there and I was just kind of leafing. They're all on on a kind of hardboard and I was leafing through them and I was absolutely amazed by them. And funnily enough, that that um, the the one you just showed me there was one of the ones that really kind of um, struck a note for me because the woman in it is my mum. Oh, and, wow. Uh, the, so, you know, that, and that was kind of quite close to the top of the pile. So when I saw that, it really kind of piqued my interest. And um, and that's when I kind of really first discovered um, that my dad even did any of these kind of works because he never, he never spoke about them. Um, the artwork that he did... Um, you know that I kind of knew about that I saw him him doing was was very very different, and um, so yeah, it's, it's since since he's died, I've I've been obviously kind of reaching out to people in the in the science in the science fiction uh, world and, and try and see what's the best thing to do about my dad's legacy, and in doing that, I've I've been reading lots of blogs and got in touch with so many people that have all been saying the same thing to me. What a huge effect uh, my dad's artwork had mm. on them as mostly as their mostly childhood memories because we are going back fifty years now. Yeah, and um, so yeah, it's it's been a real kind of uh, real discovery for me. Yeah, wow, what a find! What an incredible yeah. find! Uh, and yeah. you're right, it's it. it Sometimes I have to pinch myself and realise actually how far back these go. And having just mm. turned 50, this edition that I've got that Pops gave me, the very edition that he gave me back in the 80s, actually does date back to almost 50 years ago in and of itself as the paperback book. It's from 1976, this one. But wow, what an, yeah. incre what an incredible find and what a lovely little bit of context as well. Yeah. So one of the most fascinating things about discovering any kind of art and any kind of whether it's whether it's writing, whether it's um, visual art, is you become attached to the to the artwork. But in the case yes. of, of your dad, I know absolutely nothing about him other than the name. So could you tell us a little yeah. bit about him? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting you should say that, actually, because through my research, um, I mean, I'm currently putting together a website um, that's eventually going to house his entire collection that I'm currently um, kind of cataloguing data and putting into a database and digitising all the images. So I've been um, what kind of trying to find out um, what other people know about him. And, and you're right. I mean, very few people know, know um, very little about him. Um, and um, I mean, the, the basics that most people know is that he came, he came from Australia and um, you know, he did these, these, uh, these covers and that's pretty much all anyone knows about him. Yeah. But he, he was, he was actually also um, a very 
very, very talented flamenco guitarist, which is something no one knows about him. So much so that he was actually offered to go on a two-year uh, world tour with a very well-known um, flamenco uh, kind of group. They were a group of guitarists and dancers, and he was he was kind of playing with them in in Paris before he came to England, and they they offered him to go on this world tour. And my mum was kind of just. Um, pregnant with me at the time so it was a bit difficult for him to kind of commit to going on this this two-year world tour with him so I had to turn that down but he was I mean he was just extremely talented at everything he did absolutely everything that he turned his hand to he mastered really really quickly Um, he left school at 13 years old and uh, did an apprenticeship as a mechanic with um, I think it was one of his uncles or something like that Mm. Um, and he, he didn't really enjoy that very much. And then he started training as a, um, a what was it, sorry, what was he doing? He was like a, not, not sorry, like a pub, uh, a graphic designer. Sorry, that's, that's yeah. what he was doing. Mm. And then he started um, getting lessons uh, or being mentored by Clifton Pugh. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a very well-known Australian artist. And very, very quickly, he kind of surpassed Clifton Pugh. And he was just—he he just got—he was just so good at everything that he did. And the, one of the problems that he had was was that he 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 couldn't really decide what it was that he wanted to do, mm. and that that caused a really kind of massive conflict for him. But, um, he he then married my mum. He he'd been doing some kind of solo exhibitions that got kind of really. Um, really good reviews and everyone was kind of expecting him to be this next big uh, Australian uh, artist and then he he left Australia went went to Paris um, that's when he started doing record cover uh, co- covers for record record co- uh, for records yeah and then he moved to to England because my mum wanted to have me wanted for me to be born in England and that's when he then started doing the the Mayflower covers Wow. So, shit, Dev, there's some records we've got to track down now. I know. Wow. There's, um, there's a book out, out called um, Another World Record, and it's uh, a company called World Record, World Record Company or something like that, I think it's called. And he did loads of, um, loads of record covers for them. And then there was another company that he was working with in, in, uh, in Paris, and he, he, was doing, he was doing covers for, uh, for classical um, classical records. In fact, actually, the first two science fiction covers that he did, I think it was uh, Fire, was it Firefox, and there was another one that he did. And those two, those the two images that he did on on that are very very similar to the paintings that he was doing, the kind of the abstract paintings he was doing in Australia. Hmm. And then after those two, then the next ones he did, I think, was Stormbringer, the ones that were kind of more photo montage. Yeah, uh, much more like the stuff that he was doing for record covers in Paris, and then he met the the Buddhists, who oh. who uh, at the time he was he was really conflicted because he really he didn't know what he wanted to do. He didn't know whether he wanted to be a flamenco guitarist or whether he wanted to be a fine art painter or whether he wanted to be a graphic designer or an illustrator. He was just he was he really enjoyed all the different forms of of creativity and, and expression. But he just felt this kind of social, social kind of um, conflict. Social, so uh, you know, like the, 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 he was supposed to choose one particular path. Mm. Yeah, uh, and he he didn't he didn't really 
he couldn't really cope with the pressure of having to decide on on which path to to take. And then he met this this uh, Buddhist guy called Frank in Holland Park. And Frank sort of just said to him, "Well, don't do anything." And uh, and my my dad just thought that was absolute re- revelation, <laughs> and literally just gave up everything, apart from the Mayflower book covers, which he he had started at the time. He carried on doing that because he enjoyed doing that, and because it actually. Although he was working to a brief, the brief was really, really loose. And one of the things that's kind of quite interesting is that a lot of people, the blogs that I read, a lot of people say, well, his book covers have got nothing to do with the books. And they're absolutely right, because my dad never read the books. He wasn't really actually, again, he wasn't interested in science fiction either. He huh. was just interested in, um, in the, the form of expression. And he was, I think he was chosen because of, the impact his his images had, and so he, it, I, the reason one of the reasons why he continued doing it was because although he was working to a brief, he was given a lot of freedom to do whatever he wanted as long as it kind of loosely followed the the, the title of the book or the, the basic kind of plot of the book they were happy. So when he got uh, involved with the Buddhists, he started doing all these kind of Buddhist um, practices. He was meditating a lot and that's when his style completely changed again. And he started all this kind of Buddhist um, referencing kind of came in uh, into his, his cover works. And, um, and because he had the, the freedom, he was able to loosely tie it into to, to the book, but also yeah. paint exactly what he wanted to paint. And I think that's what kind of kept him doing it. Plus also, he, he moved into this Buddhist commune and he was one of the only ones that was earning money and all the money he earned from these covers went straight to the commune. Wow. Wow. A, a couple of couple of observations there. Well, first of all, mm. bumping into a Buddhist in London in the 1970s yeah. and taking existential advice off them is about as Moorcockian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. Really <laughs> as you could possibly imagine. <laughs> Although he was a Buddhist, he was actually an American. Um, um, he was an American sailor who had um, kind of dropped out of of the um, of the navy and um, and was hanging out with all the beat poets and everything in in, in New York. And then yeah. went to his mum was a communist, and he went to he went to she was a Belgian communist, and he went to Belgium, kind of worked there and learned the language because he wanted to kind of have what he was what he thought was a, a normal life but he'd been interested in philosophy when, with, with the beat uh, poets he'd been interested in in philosophy and, and, and buddhism then and then when he um came to he then from belgium he came to england and met um oh, i'm not going to remember the name now um he was a buddhist monk um I'll, when when you guys start talking a bit I'll, I'll look up the name and i'll have to come back to it yeah um but it, um, this Buddhist monk, he had some real kind of strong spiritual kind of awakenings with this Buddhist monk and the Buddhist monk gave him a whole load of money and said like go out and choose choose some people to, to receive the teaching and uh, he found my dad in, um, in uh, Holland Park Wow, that's incredible and the, the other thing I was going to I was going to say was that the observation that his books may not have had the most tight relationship to the contents of the books mm. because they were so vivid i i have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that when 
people other than myself, but people kind of my of my generation, and and even people right now who are going into I don't know the old peer bookshop in Markham or or wherever, when they're looking mm. through that section and they see a Bob Herberfield cover, that will attract people to the contents of the book, whether they understand yeah. the connection or not, because they are absolutely wild and unlike anything else that you could possibly see. And again, I'm I'm going to ask you, Dave, what your favourite Herberfield cover is in a second. And I thought about right. this really, really long and hard. And it was between the final programme and Behold the Man, but I had to settle on the final oh, yeah. programme. Oh, and, yeah. And, and actually... If if you take the the, the culmination of the final program, I, I know another one of my mum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you take the the climax of the final program, and and understand yeah. that that very final bit, it is absolutely relevant to the contents of the book. But if you were to pick this yeah. book up off a shelf and look at that cover, you would you would honestly think, what the fuck is this book about? <laughs> and I think that is absolutely one of the major attractions. Uh, and, yeah. and I think I think Moorcock was incredibly lucky to have someone like this illustrating the books. And, and just because it was the runner-up, this is a, a much more um, sober and serene compared to the last one. But the cover to the Mayflower edition of Behold the Man is my runner-up. Uh -huh. All right. Okay. Yeah. That is my runner-up. But how about you, Dave? Yeah. Oh man. I mean, yeah. That uh, final program cover is just absolutely just a perfect batshit crazy psychedelic <laughs> masterpiece. When I saw that thing for the first time, um, I mean, yeah, I, I had to get it. Uh, the other one for me would probably be uh, the Knight of the Swords, with just you know, presumably you know, Coram in the middle facing up against, uh, I mean, in the story, I mean, it's honestly like, that's the thing. Um, even though, you know, it may not be specifically trying to adapt certain moments from the books. I find a lot of the time, um, in an abstract way, it absolutely does actually end up representing hmm. the book very well. Um, for the Knight of the Swords cover, I mean, the giant, you know, demon that's that's facing the hero there i mean that's that's pretty much a good representation of Ariok in that story another one i like a lot is um yeah a lot of the quorum ones that he did the uh was it the the king of the swords also yeah mm -hmm. with um with the giant woman-shaped temple and the bloody hand holding a eye and the dagger in its palm and the, this purple robed figure with this golden scimitar and maybe that one doesn't fit so well but it's just a beautiful image i love yeah. that one a lot uh those are probably my favorites the reason why why he was chosen was because was because of the impact that, that his images had but i got a, i got an email from uh, from michael Morcock um, shortly after um my dad's death and um he he said that um he said how he kind of first met my dad and and um, he, how he kind of saw these, he went into the office and he kind of saw these these images. I think at the time um, Bob had done like a few images to some some other books, and and he may have had a, a few other images in in there that you know that hadn't been used for books, but he was just showing to to the company. And um, and Moorcock said that he just saw he saw these images and just sort of, sort of straight away said. That's I want him to do my book covers. Mm. Yeah, you, you said that you you found all of these boards 
mm. at your dad's house. What was the the method that he worked in to create these images? Because what again, it's not just the imagery that's striking, but the colours mm. and they're so clean in yeah. terms of yeah. lines and definition. They're done in. They're done in. Um... They're, they're done on kind of like um, sort of A3 size boards. So they're, they're sort of, you know, they're, they're a good size. Um, and they're done with, with gouache and, um, mm. and uh, airbrush. Oh, as well. yeah. Wow. You're going to have to explain to me as a, a complete idiot when it comes to anything artistic. What's gouache? Well, gouache is, is, is kind of, um, well, it's kind of somewhere in between uh, watercolor and acrylic paint. Right. So it's it's kind of it's not as delicate as a as a watercolor, um, but it's not as kind of plasticky as an acrylic paint. Okay. Mm. So it's got this really you know the the, the the colors that can be you get this real richness in the color, and um, I mean he. His, I mean, he he was just a master at detail. I mean, when you see these, it, it, you don't really catch it on the on the books, but when you see them in A3 size, just the the actual detail in them is just staggering. Mm. You know, there's there's one there's one um, one that he did. It's not it's not a, a Moorcock book. Um, I, I'm not I can't remember who who it's who it's for, but it was it's um, in it. There's a there's a tree. And every single leaf in the tree is an eye. And it's just, you know, you, you just, a, I mean, there's hundreds of these, these leaves in this tree. And as you, when you look closer, you're like, my God, they're all eyes. And oh. just, you know, it's the detail of it. And, and the shading, his ability of, 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 of shading is, I mean, that stuff's done really easily now on, on computers, you know, with gradients and yeah. things like that. But do that kind of quality of shading by hand, is yeah. uh, really something. Yeah, and again, it's it's striking looking at these. And as he said, these days with computers and with all the programs and everything else, the fact that mm. people can achieve a lot of these textures, but to actually have done it by hand with um, airbrushing techniques and the things you've mentioned, my God, mm. what I wouldn't give to visit a gallery when all of this stuff is on display. Dave, we're going to have to make a pact that All right. <laughs> when this happens, that we we meet up for the first time in I'm person, flying out there. That at, sounds awesome. At, at a Herberfield <laughs> expedition, because oh, you've seen him in Air Three. Good lord. Oh so, yeah. So we know him for these what what essentially were pulp fantasy and science fiction covers, and yeah. and, all, and although you know pulp sci-fi and fantasy is even then was considered a fairly throwaway thing, his work has mm. endured because again. I went in the LPA bookshop in Markham when we were on holiday a couple of weeks ago, and there must have been a dozen Herberfield-covered Michael Mocock books there on the shelf. Yeah, right. The persist, the there, people can still find them. So for for, for me, you know, I'll, I'll always inevitably connect Bob Herberfield with Michael Mocock. But what else yeah. was he doing? I've seen some of the images that you've posted on your Instagram account. And uh -huh, yeah. Some of the pencil work, and it's all—it's all absolutely beautiful. But what else was he working on? Well, he's—I mean—he's got—he's got so many different styles and, and so many um, bows to his string. I mean, he, he after when he stopped doing the book covers, he he went into kind of commercial illustration, um, advert—you know—advertising illustration. So he was doing stuff for. Um, I mean, as I've posted stuff for like Quantro and um, Captain Morgan's Rum, he also did mm. a whole load for Sainsbury's, for Waitrose, 
for uh, Lipton's tea. He became very, very well known for mm. his orange. He was um, he he painted oranges absolutely exquisitely. I mean, they were kind of photorealistic, which back in I mean it. You, you look at photorealistic um, images on, on Instagram now and everyone's doing it. But back then, there was very, very few people doing it. And, um, you know, just again, just the sheer uh, detail that he was able to get into his images was really quite um, breathtaking. Mm. So that was, you know, that was what he, he did for his, you know, to, to make a living. I mean, he, he, he kind of got disillusioned with the art world. He didn't like the idea of having to kind of sell himself. Mm. And he kind of felt that um, that if he was to follow an art, you know, a career in fine arts where he was having to sell his his paintings to private collectors, he felt that he would have to compromise his art to 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 be doing something that people would want to buy rather than doing what he really wanted to do. Mm, yeah. So he just decided that the most honest thing him to do the most honest way for him to make money which in the art world is really kind of looked down upon was to do commercial art you know to do illustration and he just felt it was an honest transaction someone came to him and they said look we want a picture of, a, of, of an orange and we'll pay you this much hmm. and then bob could paint that in 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 a short period of time get paid a certain amount and um and then it gave him the freedom and the time to go and paint what he wanted to do. And that's the real Bob Haberfield, are the, the paintings that he did for himself. And these are paintings that nobody has ever seen because he never, he never exhibited. Um, and, wow. you know, I mean, his house, every single inch of, of wall space was, was covered with, with his own artwork. And he just did it for the sheer love of painting. That's just mm. what he absolutely loved to do. Um, and he had, he had, even with his own paintings, he had such a variety of styles and themes going on. Um, some of them were, were really, really childlike and, and really, really loose. I mean, if you imagine, if you, you know, I mean, his, his commercial work was so tight and so detailed. So the last thing he really wanted to do when he was doing his own painting was another detailed painting. He just, he wanted mm. to paint like a child. And he was very, very childlike in his, in his, in his manner. So that kind of came out a lot in, in his in his artwork. You know, he just he he had this real kind of sense of innocence about him. So yeah, yeah. So I, I understand from um, your again your your posts that you have a a couple of book projects, or you have one book project underway that's gonna yeah result. The outcome will be will be two different books. One one of which will be some of his unpublished stuff. So can you tell mm -hmm. us about the book projects? Because I, I understand that you're undertaking it with John Davy. That's right, yeah. Who who did the the James Cawthorn, the man of his art? Um, yes, book, which, is, which is an absolutely beautiful oh. book. Yeah. Well, I got in touch. Well, what happened was after um, when my dad died, I and mean, he died kind of quite suddenly. And when my my dad was um, he was he was a very healthy man. I mean, he gave up he gave up alcohol. He was he was an, an alcoholic for many many years, quite quite a full on alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he gave he gave that up, and, and he started living a, an extremely healthy lifestyle. He didn't eat meat. He exercised every day. He didn't smoke. Didn't drink. Um, and so I I was expecting him to go on well into his nineties, quite quite easily. Mm. And then he, at the age of eighty two, he kind of died quite suddenly. Um, which in in some respects, I think he would have been kind of quite happy with, because for for Bob, it was all about quantity of life rather than sorry quality of life rather yeah. than quantity of life so he would have rather have kind of gone 
in in a quick fashion rather than it being mm. a long drawn out thing where he kind of lost his mobility and lost his ability to paint and things like that. So after he he died, I became the custodian of a huge amount of artwork. I mean, we are talking. I mean, his whole house was full of it. You know? I live in France, so I had to go to 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 his house in Wales and pack it all up and put it in a trailer and bring it back um, to my home here in France. I put all the, as many of the paintings that he had on his walls, I put up onto my walls because I, if he put them on his walls, they were the most important paintings for him because they were the ones that he wanted to look at all the time. Yeah. But then I was, I was left with um, portfolios just stacked full of paintings and, and planchettes full of drawings and stuff. And I just was kind of scratching my head thinking, well, what am I going to do with all this stuff? Yeah. And then I kind of, uh, you know, with, with the science fiction book covers, I realised, well, this is what he's most known for. So this is obviously going to be the doorway mm. into... I mean, the first thing I wanted to, that came to my mind was that I wanted to put a book together of his, of his artwork because one of, the, one of the last things he did before he died was, was put together a, a, a catalogue of about seven or 800 paintings. Now, I thought this was in his, his entire works, but I kind of soon realised that this was just a small percentage of his works and the works that he wanted, that he liked best. So I kind of thought to myself, well, what I, you know, I, I would like to turn this into a book. So I, I reached out to the science fiction world. I sent out a bunch of emails to people. Um, and the, one of the first replies I got was from um, John Guy Collick, who was a tremendous help. Um, he kind of sent out lots of emails to lots of people and, and we discussed all different kind of ideas. And, you know, I was, I was kind of thinking, you know, am I going to sell these images? Am I going to give them to, to museums or am I going to try and um, do galleries with them? And, and, and then he kind of brought up um, the book again, which is, as I said, was one of the first things that came to my head. And he put me in touch with, uh, with, with John Davy. And um, we had, he, his first reaction, John Davy's first reaction was that he was very busy at the time. He just mm. finished this, the, the James Cawthorne book, which he uh, took him a, a few years, I think, and, and yeah. really took it out, out of him. And so he, he didn't really want to commit to the project. And we had a, we had a Zoom meeting. And, and it was really quite funny, actually, because he, I was kind of under the impression that he was, he was going to turn it down. And, but he was really, really enthusiastic about it. And he was kind of saying, we could do this, we could do that. And by the end of the conversation, he talked himself into it. And, I, <laughs> I, I really and, and so I was like, oh, great. OK, so you're on board then. And, um, and then... Ever since, um, you know, it's, it's just been absolutely, I've been so lucky to have um, both both Johns on, on this project with me. Mm. And uh, they've just been an absolute wealth of information and, um, you know, given me great advice and kind of, you know, helped me, lead me in the right direction down this journey. Because as, as, as I've already said, I'm not really, I don't really know much about the science fiction world. And uh, I know nothing about publishing books. And um, so, yeah, so they've been a great help. It's been a very kind of long, slow process, but, which has actually suited me really well because you know, being, I've got two young kids and I yeah. can't devote all my time to this. So it's been, the pace for me has been absolutely perfect. But the, the reason it's kind of 
Well, the first thing we had to work out was, you know, what 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 content have we got? So I had to put together all, all the content. And that's when I then realised that there wasn't 700 paintings um, in my dad's collection, but it was more like 2,000 in it. So oh, wow. Whoa. And then he was also a, a quite a distinguished poet as well, which I had no idea about until I kind of found these, these folders stuffed full of dog-eared pieces of paper with handwritten poems on, and a lot of them were, were illustrated. So I kind of compiled, I kind of got together as much of the, all, all the imagery that I could find, anything that he'd done, things like, you know, birthday cards, Christmas cards that he sent out, emails, because I had his computer, so I was going through his computer and finding all this stuff that he'd done. And then I kind of presented it all to John Davey and John Colick, and we kind of looked at it all. And, and the, the initial kind of idea was, well, there's two, there's, well, there's actually a lot more books in all this content but uh, in all this content but there's kind of two jumped out at us and that was the uh, the commercial art and the his his own painting because those are the mm. two main kind of categories of of everything and so we were t- we, you know we were kind of bouncing ideas uh, back and forward for for a very long time and then at one point i i sent emails out to a bunch of uh, my, my dad's friends to ask them to write memoirs about him and we got some f- fantastic stuff back and one of his really old friends also wrote um, a piece about my dad's artwork, which was a book in itself. And so then we kind of, then it was like, well, okay, well, what about three books? And, <laughs> and so then we were toying with, with three books for a while. And then, then there was another book that my dad had actually already made on one of um, what I considered to be um, the, the kind of series of paintings that are probably the most dear to my father which were called the harmless world series and they're very very kind of childlike images mm. but beautifully done really innocent really lovely um and he he compiled it into a little kind of children's book and um so i wanted to kind of add that in as well so at one point we were, there was going to be four books and then uh, kind of sanity prevailed and we um, <laughs> <laughs> after after everything, we kind of went look, you know, let's 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 rein this in a little bit, and we brought it back. We actually kind of decided to, at that point to do one book, but have everything in it, and then we started doing the uh, we uh, John Davy started the the pagination of of just working on all the images from the, my dad's catalogue, and that was kind of it was just like I, I then kind of said, well, hang on a minute, you know. Because in that collection, there are a few of the science fiction covers. And I, I just kind of looked at it and just went, well, the fans, the science fiction fans, aren't going to really dig this book very much because there's not really that much science fiction. And even if we put like a little section at the bo- at the end of the book, it's primarily a fine art book. Mm. So, that, so at that point, we then kind of thought, let's go back to the two book strategy and have one book that's going to focus on the science fiction book covers, the record covers, and some of his better known illustrations, and then have the other book as as the fine art book, but we'll Mm. present them together in a slipcase, and then kind of everyone's happy. Because I know that the the book my dad wanted to make was the the catalogue, what he catalogued. So it's kind of keeping my dad happy. Um, And it's it's the, the, the book that his favorite images and then the other book is kind of keeping everybody else happy and it's going to have all the science um, fiction stuff in it and we've got some great pieces written by by a bunch of different people um john davies written some pieces uh, michael moorcock's written something um john collett's written something um a, a couple of other people whose names i can't 
remember right now I've also written something and then we've got this fantastic memoir that's been written by one of my dad's oldest friends they were in the um uh, the national service together in australia as kids yeah uh, so he's written a really uh, really candid memoir of my dad so that will go in one book and then i've written a memoir that was so his his memoir will go in, in the science fiction book and then i've written a memoir that will go in um the, the dad selection book so hopefully um it's the, they're going to be two fantastic books well i've no doubt they will be because they, the images in them are just absolutely spectacular mm. it must be wow. incredibly rewarding for you as well to to be in receipt of these memoirs of from his friends you know and be able oh, to, yeah. to be able to absorb all of that yeah i mean it's the, it's the same it's the old thing of you know after someone's gone you think of all the questions you want to ask them yeah and obviously when someone's died you can't phone them up and say oh you know i wanted to ask you this that and the other you know it's it's, it's it that's it you know it's, it's it's you can't glean any more information from that person so getting the memoirs from his friends from people he's known for his, his whole life it's just been so richly rewarding for me to just purely to kind of, because it's answered so many questions for me. And I just, it's it's kind of in many ways, it's helped me kind of feel my dad's spirit still around me. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I've, yeah, I mean, I can't, you know, I can't really thank the people enough that, that, have, that have written and told me their stories. It's just, um, it's just been great. And I'm learning more because I'm still talking to, to people and and um you know hearing what they've you know their their encounters and their thoughts and things and um yeah i mean my house i've got i've got my all my dad's paintings surrounding me in, in my house i've also he had a because he, he's a buddhist he had a, a a shrine of all his kind of favorite little knickknacky things and his, um little buddhas and things and, and i've recreated that in in my house exactly as, as he had it so I can I really feel him um, around me. Mm. So yeah. it, it, the whole the whole journey has been a real kind of learning learning journey and and a way of, a way for me to to mourn him as well. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a, a really powerful lesson for for all of us to to memorialize people that we've lost and and yeah. what a fantastic way that you found to do this. It's absolutely incredible. So mm. what what are the timelines on the publication of these books? Uh, that's the million dollar question. Um I I mean not anytime soon. <laughs> I mean we've only we've only just started the pagination of the, the first book. I, I think we've I think we've now got it to the point where we are happy with what images go on what pages. And so then it's a matter of um, doing doing the layouts, you know, kind of actually working out where the images go on, on each page. Um, the uh, John Colic is currently um, proofreading all of the all the text that's going to go into it. I'm still finishing off my text because I, I I wrote it kind of about six months ago and then left it, and I've just kind of. John Davies just kind of turned around and said to me, okay, we're ready for the text. And I said, well, I just want to read it one more time. And I read through it one more time and really didn't like it. Mm. And, uh, so, and so I had to say to him, look, I've got to rewrite this because I wanted to include a lot more detail because in that last six months, I, I'd learned so much more. And I just, and there was so much great stuff that I just wanted to put in to his story because, I mean, I'm probably biased because um, he's my dad, but, you know, the sort of, for me, the story absolutely fascinated me. And uh, you know, I hope it will bring um, uh, interest to other people. So, I 
I'm kind of currently re- rewriting it, and um, which I've almost finished. So, mm. but that's just the first book, um, and then we've got to start the whole process again with uh, with with the other book. So, yeah, it's not it's there's no timeline at the moment. So, what other activities have you got going on? Because I know you've started the Instagram account to memorialise yeah. your dad's work. Um, what, yeah. what else does the future hold for the Herberfield Archive? Well, I mean, the, yeah. So the the Instagram. Uh, feed at the moment I'm only doing images that haven't made it in well mostly haven't made it into the book because I don't really want to give too much away yet yeah um and you know there's still so many fantastic images that aren't going to be going into the book so I kind of thought that was a, an avenue for, for that and then there's the 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 website that I set up um which the, the main aim of the, the, the website is um, to house the, the master catalogue, is what we're calling it, is what yeah. I'm doing. So I, I, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm cataloguing absolutely everything that my dad has done, including all the photographs that I've got of him and, and um, you know, kind of letters that, that, um, that I think are of interest. Um, so all of that will all be housed on, on this website. Once that's all done, once the master catalogue is put together, we can then um, start thinking about uh, exhibitions, doing things like um, posters. Um, yeah, I mean, at, at the moment, the focus is mainly on these two books and, and getting this database together. Then once that's done, then the kind of the doors can open to, um, uh, to other projects. So, yeah, so the website mainly will... will 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 house this uh, this database, so anyone will be able to go onto it and and see his whole collection of of work. Oh, wonderful! I suppose one of the great things about the internet, isn't it, is y- your work mm. and and you live your entire life knowing very little about the things that influence you and the things that that stick in your brain and those those mm. images that are burned into your mind, and then all of a sudden something pops up, and then it's all there. All the information's there. All the imagery yeah. is there. It's so exciting mm. for fans yeah. like us. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, I'm glad, really glad to hear that. I mean, it's 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 funny because I mean, I I studied fine art painting, but I I kind of gave it up a long long time ago. So I know a, a little bit about the, the fine art world and how it works. But since working on this this project and and kind of setting up, you know, the Instagram account and and checking out what other people are doing, I've just I'm actually kind of finding it a little bit daunting at times because mm. there's just so much incredible artwork out there. You know, mm. it, it, it seems like with the with the internet. I mean, when I studied, when I was um, studying fine art painting, there was there was no such thing as the internet. So you only knew about other paint about other painters by going to galleries and and um, you know going to art bookshops and and, and buying books. Whereas now it's all readily available for you on on the uh, on the web, and and it's just it's quite daunting how yeah. much there is out there and how much amazing stuff there is out there. And then to think, well, how is anyone going to find what I'm doing? You know, I I, I mean, I, I I kind of take my hat off to to artists um, these days because it just must be so difficult. Yeah, I mean, Dave, oh, yeah. we've talked about it, haven't we? The, <laughs> like the the grand democratization. Of, of of art and and I've discussed this with Dave regarding his music. I've discussed this with Alistair Thompson yeah. regarding his book. It's in in many ways it's enormously encouraging that it's there as a forum. Yep. Mm. 
but actually to get it noticed amongst the sea of Scott. Yeah, therein yeah. lies the challenge. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, you're experiencing that right now, aren't you, Dave? Although, to be fair, Dave, your work is getting a lot of notice. So. I, you know, yeah, my, my stuff is somehow, thankfully, uh, way <laughs> exceeded any of my expectations. Yeah. And, you know, I think in, you know, in terms of uh, in putting your father's artwork out there, I mean, I, I think it, it, it truly is just so unique and so amazingly eye-catching and beautiful to look at. I mean, obviously, I'm speaking as a fan who's only really familiar with the sci-fi uh, artwork. So then to hear that there's also all this, I mean, you know, you say, you know, around 2,000 other paintings um, that none of us have ever even seen. I mean, just to just as an admirer of his technique and his uh his imagination i i'm very very interested in looking forward to uh seeing all the rest of these i think that you know your father's art has a quality that is uh hard to turn away from you know i, I don't think you could just scroll past a bob haberfield painting you know yeah. in, in an yeah, instagram but... feed you, you just you, you know you catch a glimpse of the thing and you just have to you know you just kind of become enveloped by it. you got to be like wow look at that so i think uh i, I yeah I, I wouldn't worry too much in, in in your in your place there that's uh that's some phenomenal stuff well yeah i mean the ultimate goal is 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 really just to preserve his legacy i mean that's that's kind of my main focus the last thing i wanted was just for all these all these images to just sit in a in a folder in, in a drawer and never see the light of day so mm. the challenge for the initial challenge for me was always going to be how do i get it out there and yeah. the internet is the best way to do that because you can just you know as i said once it's all digitized i can dump it all onto the the website and there it is it's there and as long as the, the website is is online the legacy is preserved i mean i guess in in some respects i'm fortunate enough that he's that he was well known enough for one particular form of his artwork, and maybe that will that interest you know will 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 help kind of lead people into in, into having a look at his, his other stuff. Um, but if it doesn't go any further than than just getting the the, the website up and running and all the all the artwork um, on the website, then then that's fine, and I've I've done my job. So um, I kind of yeah i'm 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 happy either way whichever way it goes really i think undoubtedly it it absolutely will and it's funny i've been thinking about this this week because visual art is one of those things where i think it faces a lot of unique challenges at the moment particularly in the world of world of the internet because there are all these ai art applications yeah and there are people all over social media posting really striking imagery that's created with ai applications yeah, but, but one thing you can absolutely guarantee is no AI art application can ever get anywhere near recreating anything like a Bob Herberfield Mocock cover. They are so unique. Mm. The vision is so particular and so focused on a specific style, and mm. and so and the interpretations of the material are so unique to the artist behind yeah. them that there is no yeah. way in a million years an ai app could ever number one reproduce that and there's also no way in a million years that any number of websites whether it be ArtStation or any of these others could ever come up with something as vivid or unique that specific tone and voice that the art has if that's even the correct expression 
well, I, I remember um, as a child seeing my dad uh, painting this, this orange and which looked like a photograph. And, and I, I, I said to my dad, I said, um, why are they paying you so much money to, to paint an orange when all they need to do, you know, I can take a photograph of an orange and it will look the same. <laughs> yeah. And he, he said to me, because there's a certain mystique about the fact that this is being drawn by hand. This is hand yeah. done mm -hmm. rather yeah. than a, a, a kind of a scientific process or be it, you know, an, 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 an AI program you know it's it's done by the hand yep. and that's the mystique and that's where the you know that's what makes it so special mm. yep the other thing as well that i think makes this guaranteed to be something different to anything else is that dave and i are not alone when it comes to our love for bob haberfield covers and for the impact that they had on us when it comes to people who are out there who have a copy of the Mayflower edition of whatever it may be, Stealer of Souls, <laughs> Winds of Limbo with the Fire Clown on the cover, or, or, or the Room Staff series. The amount of people who are out there who adore these covers and to whom mm. Bob Haberfield is a mystery. Well, we are Legion. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of us about. There are a lot of us yeah. about. And, and, and the That's fact good. that we now have the opportunity to find out more yeah, is yeah. priceless. Well, that, that's that's what I'm really hoping that these these books will will achieve because I, th I think I mean I'm really really happy with with um, with the text that's that's in them. You know, I think I think they really give it a, a really good insight to to who he was. Yeah, uh, and kind of why why he kind of created the, these images. It's just going going back to the um, to something we said kind of we talked about before and, and the fact that. He he didn't. Re a lot of people don't understand the imagery that that he. Uh, you know, a lot of people said, you know, I, I love the imagery so much, but it just went way over my head, you know. Mm. And, and because a lot of a lot of the people were, because it's going back fifty years now, they were quite pretty young when they were looking at these imagery, so it's it's quite understandable that they're not really going to understand it, particularly as a lot of it is is kind of Tibetan symbolism and stuff like that. So yeah. you know, why would they understand it? And a lot of the comments were you know, that they they didn't really understand it, but they absolutely loved the imagery, yeah. you know. But and then then the other thing was that they didn't really always understand the connection between the image and and the book. But what I'm kind of hoping is that through through this the, the book that's um, the, the the second book, the science fiction book, um, and well, both books actually because they both books are um, have great memoirs about my dad but what i'm hoping is that they'll give the fans let's say um a bit more of an inside um knowledge into my dad and and who he was and what he was going through when he painted these images yes maybe that in turn will help them understand the images better yeah. but having said that having said that one of the things that me and my dad spoke about a lot um when we spoke about the fine art world was that what the painter who makes the image they've obviously got they obviously know what the image means to them mm -hmm. but the 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 viewer of that image doesn't have to have the same interpretation they're entitled mm. to have whatever interpretation they like yep. and you know and and that's kind of the beauty of, of of art is that everyone can interpret it whether it be it music be it literature be it painting be it whatever everyone can interpret it in, in a completely different way and so there's there's no real desire to force people to understand um, the imagery, you know, they, oh, yeah. they, 
know, they just need it's, it's up to them to look at it and, and see what it means to them and I think most of most people that's what exactly what they did because you know as, as a lot of people said it was they the imagery just went way over their head and they just absolutely loved it and it, it meant something yeah. completely different to what it probably did to my dad that's the beauty yeah. of art isn't it and absolutely I, I think something Dave might be able to identify with as well is oh, when yeah. I was when I was reading a lot of these and when I was looking at a lot of these back in the day I was taking a shitload of mushrooms as well. <laughs> so, so yeah, I don't know a thing about Buddhism, but I do know that yeah. I, I love great, I love great art, and yeah. you know, kind of looking at art like this, uh, you know, and and having that kind of mindset where you're maybe let's say reaching out into the further recesses of, <laughs> of your mind. Yeah. This stuff <laughs> really, really struck a chord with me. Oh yeah, and so actually, yeah. um, I am somewhat familiar with Buddhism. My mom uh, studied it for a while. She actually went to Tibet. Actually, she got arrested by the Chinese government uh, for asking the Dalai Lama too many questions. Um, so <laughs> she spent three hours being interrogated after meeting the Dalai Lama. Anyway, we, we've actually, we've had monks over for dinner and stuff like that. Um, I've always been really fascinated with it. Um, and actually, the I always found the covers to be kind of perfect, like metaphorical representations of what's going on with the eternal champion yeah. character just you know to briefly um explain the the, the science fictiony part of what's going on there is this basically this 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 one consciousness keeps traveling through time space different realities and inhabiting basically these different bodies at, at one point but he can't remember the past lives so it's it's very uh -huh. much kind of a uh you know like the karmic cycle of uh, reincarnation going on with the eternal champion stories um, okay so i thought they were perfect uh, totally perfect uh, representations yeah. honestly of what's of what's really going on on a deeper level than you might yeah. just get from like your standard fantasy painting of like here's a muscular guy half naked with a sword you know and and some babe on his leg or something like you usually get you know i mean i love frazetta but you know <laughs> it's there's a bit more going on here with the, the haberfield stuff um so i yeah. think a lot of that's actually perfect for specifically michael moorcock's um stuff yeah well i mean my dad was doing a lot of meditation when he was when he was doing all these um, these images, and and a lot of the images were, you know, were, were taken from from dreams that came to him and and um, images that came to him while he was meditating. And so you know, probably on, you know, as you say, on a kind of more kind of subconscious level, mm. there, there there is probably a, a really great connection going on there between the the, the stories and and his his artwork. You yeah. can you can see there, Ben, why I like having Dave on the podcast because I'm extraordinary. Yeah. I'm extraordinarily shallow, <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, Dave brings an additional dimension to the analysis. Hey, no worries. <laughs> so, uh, I think I think on on that. Just gonna say, you, you know what, Ben? It it's been absolutely brilliant having you on, and we will really follow the progress of your book projects uh, really, really uh -huh. keenly because, Can't you know, quite apart from the fact that the, the, the James Cawthorn book is brilliant, but John <laughs> Davies' uh, Jade Design website is is almost like a... Uh, a, a if, if you could have a, a pilgrimage site on a website for more yeah. fans, John Davy is the guy who runs that website with, with Jade Design. It's it's just yeah. brilliant hearing about, about your dad and about 
his impact and and, and his, his wider work and and all we can say is we're absolutely delighted that you took the time to come on and talk to us about it well thank you very much for having me it's been really nice to just you know to to discuss it really you know i mean it's it's it's, it's been i mean most of most of because i live in france and they live in england most of it's all all emails you know we, I, yeah. I think i've had two or three zoom meetings um with with uh, both the johns you know so yeah so it's just it's just nice to be able to actually have a conversation about it with someone mm. um, so so thank you very much it's, yeah, this it's has been, been great. an absolute pleasure massive thanks to ben for joining us in Derry and tom's that artwork has been in my brain for such a long time it's great to finally know something about the man behind it and to get a hint of what's coming down the track i'll post links to ben's website and instagram page in the show notes so subscribe and keep your eyes peeled for those art posts and further news about the coming books before we go thanks as ever to our patrons first those without tear anthony piconti sebastian weetabix tim cardos and dave dempster hope those peepers are doing better dave and to our chaos engineers andrew cicluna andrew van ness anthony porter ben fletcher dave griffiths dave voxman fred quiche jim kirkland John Lays, Jules Lawrence, Mal Pertwee, Matt Saltz, Menion, Nelbert, Paul McRandall, Simon Perrins, and Tony Malazzo. And of course, thanks to our Jugaderos, Alexander Harris, Dave Dalrymple, Ian Stead, Loz, Taylor, Matthew Broom, Toby White, Tom Murphy, Mark Hebden, and Jason Connolly. Now Jason dropped me a message since the last show to say, my entry into Pulp Fiction started young with listening to the Shadow radio programme with my mother and her taking me to see the silent version of Phantom of the Opera and my reading that book before I was ten. I'm a little embarrassed to say I came to Mocock through RPGs and have only in the last decade or so really dived into his work. By the way, I found out about your show through your interview with Rob over at Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy and have since plugged that episode on my podcast. I've only started listening to your back catalogue, but RPGs are near to my heart, so I skipped there and enjoyed that show. If you haven't done a follow-up, I'd love to hear more of your experiences and how your Mococcian game is developing. Well, thanks Jason, much appreciated, and, as you asked, so shall you receive. Of course, we've done parts 2 and 3 of Mococcian RPGs, but Dave and I hopped into Derry and Tom's with Clarky the Cruel this past week to do part 4. More on that soon. Jason himself is a seasoned podcaster, and you can find his show... The Nerds RPG Variety Cast on Anchor or any other good podcatcher. And finally, eternal thanks to our patron demons Joe Monty, Clarky the Cruel, Andy Darby, Gareth Wilson, Imria, Janie Stim, Lapsed Gamer, Liam J, Miles Reed Labato, Dread Mortmain, Neil Burton, Randall Gatlin, Steve Round, the OG patron Norman Beresford, and last but of course never least, Robert Macmillan. Right, onwards to the finish line, but before we wrap up, we got a comment on our Elric of Melnibane Part 2 episode on YouTube. Jackson Vega said, These are rather excellent gents. Bravo from Blackburn. All power to you, Jackson Vega, and our best to Blackburn. We haven't been for a while, but it's in our stars. So, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Breakfast Ruins. 
You can email us at breakfastruins at outlook.com. The webpage is breakfastintheruins.com. You can listen to Breakfast in the Ruins radio via the internet, most easily via Radio Garden in either app or browser. We have our Patreon page too, and there are a few extra odds and sods on there. But in the meantime, take care, stay safe, and we will meet again soon on the Moonbeam Roads. needed <laughs> no i gotta say th- those books are going to be uh, an instant order for me oh yeah and um, because i got the you mentioned the james carthorn book it's yeah really great i think john davy put it together with carthorn's sister gotcha and there are a ton of unused pencil sketches of other eternal champion characters that were never used oh wow yeah, it's really. I, nice. I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I've not uh, seen that book. Yet. I've seen certain excerpts from it. Yeah. Um. And obviously, you know, I, I have the uh, the Cawthorn collection here from Titan Comics. Um. Side note: Who now have the rights to Conan the Barbarian's comic license? So that should be interesting. Ah. Yeah. So it's moved on from Marvel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's moved on from Marvel, and now it's right. at uh, Titan. But uh, actually, one of the one of the writers. On Marvel, the Marvel series, Jim Zeb, who did you know some of the better uh, <laughs> of of the Marvel run, uh, he'll be I think writing at least the first issue or the first run or something like that. I don't know about the art right. yet. Okay, but, so um, with, with the Conan adaptations, I got, I got really excited about the Dark Horse adaptations when Kurt yeah. Busiek and Carrie Nord were doing it. Oh man. That was great, and all the way up through uh, Tomas Giarello's run yeah, was Giarello's really amazing. Yeah, the Giarello's book was really, really good. Oh, man, that guy is genius. But, but I think it um, really started to sag a little yeah. bit. I quite oh, yeah, liked, I really I did. I quite like the Queen of the Black Coast stuff. But it yeah, there did, was some cool stuff in there. It did start to sag a little bit. And then, yeah. of course, Dark Horse lost it. It went to Marvel. I've not seen any of the Marvel stuff. But now Marvel have lost it. It's gone yeah. to Titan. Now it's gone to Titan, yeah. The Marvel stuff was, well, it was just kind of mediocre for most of it. It wasn't... Right great it wasn't terrible yeah. it just kind of even with the uh, writer i usually like jason aaron um it was just okay the art was pretty good by uh, mamuda mm. at azrar um totally just butchered that sorry but uh yeah, <laughs> yeah overall yeah. it was just kind of it was okay um yeah i think there were some really sweet spots with the with the dark horse stuff i think the the early oh, Carrie Nord, Cat Busiek stuff, Thieves in the House and all that lot was absolutely oh, yeah. brilliant. But you, I definitely got the impression that the artwork started to get rushed. Oh, yeah. So and towards just... the end of is it Carrie Nord's run, it started to look a little bit rushed. Um, yeah. But, but the Thomas Giarello Barn on the Battlefield stuff was oh, mwah, fucking yeah. wonderful. Giarello, like, he, yeah, so he, he came in, he started on Rogues in the House, and he just kept getting better all the way up through was it uh free company i think he was still doing it mm. um definitely up to and including uh black colossus which is mm. one of my favorite conan stories mm. 
total like quintessential Conan. But we, did, uh, yeah, we need to do a solid. fucking Conan story. I'm down. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. let me know when and where. Yeah, because I, 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 be I did Tower of the Elephant with Phil on the first yeah. ever birthday episode because Phil had never read a Conan story. Oh man! Um, so we did Tower of the Elephant, and I, we need to go back and do another Conan story at some point. I'm definitely down. You let me know. I will. I got them all. Well, so, I'll tell you uh... what, we'll get Mad God's Amulet done. <laughs> yeah, and and then we'll pick we'll pick a nice tidy sixty to seventy page sweet Conan story, Hour of the Dragon, Perfect. Maybe, something like that. That's uh, a bit much. That's a bit longer. That's like the only novel. It's Hour of the like Dragon novel long length. Uh, no, I mean okay. not really. It's like it's about a Moorcock novel length. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, but every every other one obviously yeah, it's more yeah like eighty pages is probably like the longest one. You yeah. know, after that, so any other any any other one of the stories. Although that being said, I mean, I would be down to cover that book. I did, in fact, write a song summarizing that book on my first album. Of course, you did. Yeah. Yes, I did. I, I, just, <laughs> I just got a bunch of the um, modifious two D twenty Conan RPG books for my birthday. Nice, because you know it's my fiftieth birthday, so um, I ended up getting like half a dozen Conan, uh, the Modifius Conan role playing game supplements, which I still haven't looked at. And I'd got the Color of Atlantis supplement a while, nice. and I don't oh, know why cool. I asked for this stuff because I don't even particularly like the two D twenty Conan, <laughs> Conan <Yeah>. system. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm too I'm too lazy to read complicated role playing systems these days. Yeah. I understand it. I got all of them uh, on a digital humble bundle deal. Yeah, I'm just like, well, okay, sure, I'll yeah, why not? I'll throw down for that. I I looked through them briefly. I, the, I appreciated the, fluff, the effort. The fluff is pretty good. The fluff yeah. is pretty good. But don't know when I'll ever use it. Yeah, I, I'll, <laughs> no, I'll like, never use it. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah. when the when the mongoose system came out, Conan. Mongo's Conan game came out. The first one was so full of typos, it was fucking horrendous. Mo- Mongo's oh, were a company that I think they expanded too fast, couldn't afford proofreaders. So much of their shit was absolutely terribly edited. They did That's the unfortunate. They did a Hawkmoon game. They did a, a an Elric of Malnibonair game. And the first editions, well, they only did one edition of Hawkmoon, and it was yeah, it was okay. It was okay. Hmm. But the the Conan stuff by Ian Ian Sturrer, that was all right. It's pretty good stuff, but. But once you got into all the fluff and and all the splat books, uh, oh, the quality really, really started to dip. So I should have Dang. known with Modifius that I shouldn't go down that same route <laughs> of of getting. I just didn't know what to what, what to tell people to get me. It was either bottle of whiskey or something like that. What one thing about Conan is that when it comes to Moorcock, Elric, Hawkmoon, whatever. Whilst I appreciate the artwork of P. Craig Russell and people like that, I really don't get excited about Moorcock comics. I think like yeah, there just there really hasn't been sort of a def- like a really satisfying definitive mm. interpretation. There have been some really good ones of Elric, but mm. I mean yeah, Corum. I mean I like Mike Mignola's artwork on the series, but Corum himself just got like this huge, huge like schnoz. He just he's just a weird looking dude. You're like what did yeah? He, where did you even pull that? Out? He's supposed to be like super good looking elfin dude, and he just yeah. looks like I don't know. Yeah, he looks really really freakish which is kind of cool mm. but yeah it just didn't really do it i was thinking I about know. it yeah a, a while back and I was, I was thinking about it. i was thinking because because Lazard said oh have you i've been buying the the titan reprints 
Yeah. And a, and a couple of people have said, when are you going to do an episode around P. Craig Russell adaptations or whatever? And I was thinking, why why do I get excited about these things? And even the Julian Blondell ones, I've bought them. Yeah. I've got them. Yeah. I've looked at them. Yeah. And I can't really think of anything substantial to say about them. Yeah. So why do I get really into Conan adaptations and mm. not Mocock adaptations? And I think it all comes down to the energy of the stories. And mm. I love Mocock in print. Yeah. It's not really... A comic adaptation isn't really for me. Yeah. But the Conan stories are all about forward propulsion, energy, violence... Splitting skulls. Absolutely. Abs- you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and when I was talking to Phil, when we did the Windsor Gaff the last episode, I think at one point I talked about there's a real beauty of the Conan stories, and I can't remember whether it's actually a Robert E. Howard tale. I don't think it is. I think it's one of the either Lynn Carter or Sprague de Camp or someone else. There's a story where shit kicks off at a feast and Conan beats people to death with a ham. In Rogues in the House, I think it is, there is a part where Conan is in prison. That's how he starts the story off. And I believe he brains a guard with a uh, mutton bone. That is in the actual stories. Yeah, and I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure there's there's one where he's, he's, he's at a feast and things kick off and he's slaying people with a ham or a leg of <laughs> lamb or whatever the fuck it is. He's Beating fools down with a ham. You can do that in a comic. Yeah. And you, yeah, the uh, more kind of esoteric uh, <laughs> musings about the universe yeah, yeah, and, you know, order and chaos. Yeah, it just doesn't really... It, yeah. it, it's great in print. I think that's also the thing why there just really hasn't been a, um, you know, any really kind of successful, you know, like film adaptation of Moorcock and why Moorcock was reticent to sort of agree to the... Um, Mm. to any sort of movie projects too is because a either people threw out all the substance or their take on it just was not you know it just would not have been satisfying i i remember he also read one one interview where he just said well yeah i resisted all throughout the 70s and the 60s and stuff just because the visual effects were just too cheesy so even back then a man in his time looking at visual effects were just like this just there's no way this is ever going to possibly you know capture my ideas yeah. Um. And I I gotta respect him for that. I mean, as 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 zany as his seventies, you know, attempt at anything that he wrote would have been kind of cool to see. It would have been for other reasons than he probably would have liked people to enjoy the movie for. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's true. Yeah. 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 But one one day maybe maybe. Hopefully, we'll see how that Hawkmoon adaptation goes. Yeah, I don't know. The, yeah. the more time goes by, the less yeah. I think it's going to happen. I know that Mocock had said that. Um, I think on the the Facebook site, I can't bring myself to go back on Facebook to actually get this stuff firsthand. Well, <laughs> I, I do understand that it, it said that he'd seen the script and some concept artwork, and he really dug it. But I don't know. I don't know whether yeah. it happened. Or not, I don't know. And in a way, I'm fine with that because my head canon. When it comes yeah. to Mocock is the most important thing to me. And I think that's why you know, you're absolutely right. When it comes to the esoteric stuff and, and kind of, you know, the, the, the existential conversations, uh, do I want to read a Coram comic? <laughs> no, not really. I yeah. want to see Kern and Bren in people with hams. That's what I want from a comic. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's yeah. what the action does is, is served best on the page. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean... 
how interesting or just a series of panels of people just going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, for like pages and pages of this, you know, trippy as it might be. Um, I, I will have to give it to P. Craig Russell, though. I mean, he did a really good job of making stuff just at least really colorful. And oh, cool. there's no question in his art. Even though his Elric looks just kind of really silly to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's, there's there's no question his artwork. I, oh, I yeah. don't I don't particularly like his Yakun. Anyway, but yeah, yeah, you know, there's there's no question <laughs> his art. His art his artwork's great. He's a, he's a really talented artist, and it's the same with the Julian Blondell recent Elric adaptations. The artwork is absolutely beautiful, but for whatever reason, it doesn't really excite me. 